Hello and welcome back to Zach's Fact Shack. This is Zach, your host, and I'm so pumped to get going for this episode. We're going to cover a lot of stuff for sure. Before we get going, though, I want to remind you guys to share this podcast with your friends and family. Y'all have been enjoying these shows so far. Well, you keep coming back, so I assume you enjoy them. Why not let your friends and family give that a shot? They can listen to this podcast the same places you found them. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, or anchor.fm forward slash Zach's Fact Shack. These are all places that you can listen to this really quickly, really easily. Let your, fam- let your family know. Let your friends know. Let's see how big we can make this family. I, the next thing I don't want to do is I also want to thank everyone for listening and giving me your feedback. It's been, it's been an amazing experience knowing that y'all are listening to and enjoying what I have to say. That, that really is a big deal to me. Now, with all that being said, I think it's time to get this show started. Don't you? Well, let's dig in. So it was announced this week that a new bipartisan group of senators have come to an agreement on a new gun bill. This was sparked because of the recent mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo, New York. Both of those shootings left many dead. The unfortunate number is high with uh, between the two of them being 31 dead, including 19 kids. A horrific, sad, terrible, terrible statistic. Um, My heart breaks thinking about the fact that this has happened and these tragedies keep happening. Well, today the call to, quote, do something, seems like it may have been answered to a degree by a bipartisan group in the, uh, in the Senate. Last week, the House passed a bill that was incredibly sweeping and would have changed many, many laws on the ownership of guns. It would have been challenged almost immediately by the gun lobby And I don't know if it would have survived the Supreme Court or not, but it would have been a rough go for it regardless. I think you could probably say that it it probably wasn't going to survive. This bill is not nearly as sweeping. And while it does have 10 Republican senators, which if all 50 50 Democrats plus the 10 Republicans vote for this bill, They will be able to overcome the filibuster. They will have a filibuster-proof vote, and they will be able to progress the vote forward, sending it to the House to be voted on. And as long as it's not changed, it would then go straight to President Biden to be signed into law. I don't know if the bill will make it that far or not, because many on the left consider this bill to be incredibly underachieving in what they have going on. So, let me read from CBS News. Basically, the, the, let, me, let me read this. So a bipartisan group of 20 senators, including 10 Republicans, announced on Sunday that the outline of a deal to reform the nation's gun laws, a breakthrough after weeks of negotiations sparked by mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. 
Quote, today we are announcing a common sense bipartisan proposal to protect America's children, keep our schools safe. Families are scared, and it is our duty to come together and get something done. End quote. The agreement will provide incentives for states to pass so-called red flag laws, which the group calls state crisis intervention orders. Boost mental health resources, provide funding for school safety resources, clarify the definition of federally licensed firearms dealer, and crack down on criminals who illegally straw purchase and traffic guns. It would also expand background checks for firearms buyers under the age of 21. So not over, but under the age of 21. So between 18 and 21, the background check, firearms background check would be expanded by requiring an investigative period to review juvenile and mental health records. Convicted domestic violence abusers and people subject to domestic violence restraining orders would also now be included in the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, closing what is called the, quote, boyfriend loophole. If passed, the plan would represent the most significant update to the nation's gun laws in nearly three decades. Now, let me go back. I want to read some more later on, but I want to explain a couple of things that this law covers and what that means. So, I, I first, the one thing I, the, the thing that I know I can agree with right now, which I know has been attempted to be passed by uh, Re- Senator Ted Cruz, and I, I don't want to misquote the senator that had joined on with him, but I, I, I can't remember. But years ago, after another mass shooting, they had tried to pass a law that would do this exact thing and would then force states to be sure to add the information to the database because the background check is only as good as the database that it's pulling from. And frankly, states are not updating that information like they should be. In fact, even the military for the federal government is not updating that information like it should be. So the fact that, you know, if you are a violent um, domestic abuser in the military and are kicked out, that information is not processed to the background check database. In fact, that's what allowed the mass shooting that prompted Ted Cruz's bill to be put forward. The bill was immediately crushed and was not allowed to go forward by the Democrats at the time. This bill does much the same in that it, works with against domestic uh, domestic violence abusers being able to get guns and I totally agree with that. I think that if you have been convicted of domestic violence that you if you have been able if they have been able to put a restraining order against you with evidence that you need that uh, I think that you should absolutely be questioned before you could ever get a gun. Um I think that there is room for that to be abused which I would need to see the the actual legislative writing, what the the actual wording in the law would be before I could fully put my support behind it. But that is something that I think is reasonable. I think it's reasonable to say that, hey, if you abuse people, we're not giving you a gun. That's reasonable. I think you you forfeit your right to have a gun at that moment. But here's the thing. If you are an abuser and you've been adjudicated with that by the law, that's a felony, which means you already can't have a gun. So I don't know that this is helpful in any way outside of saying that simply if someone 
declares that they need a restraining order against you for domestic abuse, does what what is the grounds for for proving that that you actually did abuse them? I, I don't know enough of that system, and I need to find out. But I, I can definitely see how this might be an abusable statute, which concerns me. The other things that it does is it it provides funding and incentives for red flag laws, which I definitely have a problem with red flag laws, the way that they have been enforced in most uh, left-leaning states. And the reason that I say this is because, think about, let me give you a scenario. So you have just had a nasty divorce from an incredibly abusive spouse and that spouse decides to get back at you because they know that you have weapons and they say that you are a harm to yourself and others. The police then have to take this threat credibly. They come to your house, bust in the door. If you don't respond, they will knock the door in and get in and they will then confiscate anything that resembles a firearm. And you are then told that you can have the firearms back once a judge says so. Whether you get a speedy hearing or not varies from state to state. And it's all up entirely to that one judge deciding whether you should have that we- your weapons back or not. You would hope that the judge would be un- uh, unbiased and would see whether it was a real or fake statement that maybe it was a revenge case and you hadn't actually done anything, but they, you know, do you have the evidence to prove that? Because at this point, my issue with red flag laws is that it's, it requires you to prove yourself innocent. And that's not how our judicial system works. I shouldn't have to prove myself innocent of a charge. The burden of proof is on those who claim something. They have claimed that I am incompetent and unable to uh, responsibly handle weapons, maybe for my own safety or someone else's. They should have to prove that. But the laws as written say that I have to prove that they're not wrong, which I have a very big problem with that. Yes, I would love for people who have a history, have a mental, mental issues and things like that that need to be treated. Yeah, I think that we should probably make it pretty difficult to be able to get a weapon because if you're having mental episodes that might cause you to become unsafe with a weapon, yeah, I would like you not to have that weapon for everybody's safety, including yours. But here's the thing. Our judicial system has worked for as long as it has because it assumes that you are innocent until you are proven guilty. I know I know that we have other laws for the seizure of property whenever it's ill done with ill-gotten gains for things like you know gang violence and things like that which technically I might still have issues with but that is a wholly different argument that it's nothing to do with this this currently I, that's the concerns that I have is that they are going to make it super easy to take law-abiding citizens' right to own and safely operate and carry weapons away from them. And I don't like that idea. I do like the fact that people are 
educated on how to use firearms. I know it, that there that a lot of states before you can get a concealed carry license, you have to be you have to go to a class and be taught how to handle guns and how how to uh, proper gun safety, trigger dis- discipline, things like that. I know a lot of people. You grow up on a farm, and you are taught that from being a little bitty child because you were around firearms all the time. And you, uh, if your parent, you know was a good parent, they, they taught you how to be safe around these, these instruments and how to use them properly for your benefit. You know, they are simply tools. If you use a hammer on a nail, it's a useful tool. If you use a hammer on a person's skull, it's a murder weapon. The same is true for a gun. If you use a gun for self-defense, for hunting, for target practice, it's a useful tool. If you use it on in a church, at a school, at a hospital, then it's a murder weapon. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. The next thing that it does is it helps, it, it boosts resources for mental health and provides funding for school safety resources, which I agree with. I think that the latest study said that it would take about $400,000 per school and they would be able to protect the schools and quote unquote harden them from intrusion, which I agree with. I think that our schools need that. They need to be protected. That that that's that's simple. That's reasonable in my mind. I know a lot of people would argue that the 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 idea of arming teachers is a terrible idea. I think the forced arming of teachers is a terrible idea, yes. But I think that there are teachers throughout the country that would absolutely jump at the chance to be able to protect the students that they teach every day with their life and with a weapon so they could stop stop an attacker. I'm not saying that everybody does, but I think there are plenty of them that would. I also think that maybe, just maybe, what if there was a permitting process that allowed people to, that they had to pass a rigorous test, they would have to go through rigorous training, and they would have to re-up it every year or every other year. This is not going to be a simple process. It would not, it would have to be something that a normal person could obtain. So it could not be, you know, extravagantly expensive, but it, it would have to be something that people are trained well to do and that they could be permitted to carry on any state school. That's universities, colleges, high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, primary schools. Because what that would then allow is the people such as maybe a retired veteran who would not love nothing more than to be able to sit at the front door of a school and welcome kids in and use the training that he was given by our government to protect those same kids. I'm not saying that that's a perfect solution, but I am saying it's an idea that would help to deter those who are attacking our schools. Because here's the thing. They're not attacking. You're not having mass shootings at gun ranges where there are plenty of guns. It's because it's not a soft target. You're having these attacks in gun-free zones because the only people who are gun-free in gun-free zones are law-abiding citizens. Criminals are never gun-free in a gun-free zone because they're not worried about that. And those who plan to do harm will do harm in that school in that gun-free zone because they know nobody is going to stop them. Uvalde, Texas proves that. That even if the cops arrive, they probably won't do anything. Now, I can't, I need to retract that. I can't say probably. 
There are many, many good cops throughout the country. They, they know that their entire job is to protect the citizens of this country, to lay their life on the line for others. And they will do it gladly because that is the type of person they are. But whenever you condemn all cops as being bad, and which I will freely admit I nearly did just then, if you are going to demonize all cops, eventually the good cops will stop showing up and all you'll have are the bad cops. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy and I think we need to be very careful with using it. This, this bill, again, like I said, it, it needs the support of 10 Republicans to pass because the way that the Senate works is that there are two Senate seats for each state and there are currently 50 states in the union. Here's your civics uh, lesson for the day. So what ends up happening is if you have 50 states and two senators, it doesn't matter. If you have two senators for no matter how many states you have, you will always be able to have a tie in the Senate. So they have set up many different rules to make things work. And what they decided years and years ago was that to get a bill out of debate, it would take 60 votes because we have 100 senators, they said that 60 votes means that, that a, a majority, a large enough majority of the Senate has come to agree with one side or the other of the debate. Because of this, it takes 60 senators to vote to pull, to get a bill out of debate. Because the debate can continue on and on and on and on. So, with the 50 senators that are a Democrat right now, well, technically the 48 senators that are Democrat and the two independents that caucus with them, you have 50 seats and you need 10 more to be able to get the filibuster broken. And 10 Republicans have joined on with this and say that they will vote the bill through. These Republican senators include John Cornyn of Texas, Roy Blunt of Missouri, Richard Burr of North Carolina, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Susan, Susan Collins of Maine, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Rob Portman of Ohio, Mitt Romney of Utah, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. The support from the 10 GOP senators ensures that if all 50 Democrats back the plan and the Republicans maintain their backing, it can advance in the Senate and once introduced, uh, well, it, would, it would advance through the Senate and be moved to the House to be voted on. Senate Majority Leader, and again, I'm reading all of this information from CBS News, their article. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer pledged to put the bill on the floor, quote, as soon as possible. Once legislative tech, once the legislative text is finalized, a process that could take several weeks. Because right now, this is a framework that they have worked out and saying, hey, we'll let you have this, you have that, we'll take this, you take that, all this stuff. And now they actually have to write the actual bill that would be voted on. The framework Schumer said, is a, quote, good first step to ending the persistent inaction to the gun violence epidemic that has plagued uh, our country and terrorized our children for far too long. Senate Majority Mitch McConnell said the proposal announced would, quote, show the value of dialogue and cooperation and said he supports the ongoing negotiations, but he did stop short of endorsing the framework outright. 
Led by Murphy and Cornyn, the senators began working last month on efforts to find common ground on reforms to gun laws in response to the massacres at at a Topps grocery store in Buffalo and an elementary school in Ovalde. So, again, this bill may not pass because it does have to get through a couple of things. It has to get, one, it has to get through the Senate as it stands, and it needs the uh, filibuster-proof majority to do that. It looks like it might have that, but if anything changes or an amendment is made that doesn't make it palatable, you may lose one or two Republicans. You may lose them all, and it would not get passed. So we'll have to watch and wait and see what's going to happen with that. Then once it gets to the House, it has to get through untouched as well. Otherwise, it has to go back to the Senate. And again, it may not make it through if the Senate is you know doesn't like it. So there's plenty more left on this for us to figure out and follow and watch, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. So we're still waiting for the official announcement of the Supreme Court, whether they will officially strike down Roe or not. That case seems to be being pushed back further and further. I know that the from the last kind of believe that they said they had still had roughly 30 opinions to be written and released before the end of the month. Um, they released several today and we already know that on Wednesday and I'm recording this on a Monday that on Wednesday, there will be another set of decisions released. We're waiting to find out what the final decision on Roe v. Wade will be. Um, whether they will just slightly carve things out for this particular law uh, in Mississippi or whether they're going to wholesale reverse Roe v. Wade, which we've talked about in previous episodes. The reversal of Roe v. Wade will not automatically outlaw abortion. There are a couple of states that, that do have trigger laws, meaning that if Roe v. Wade was ever to be overturned, then they, these laws would outright ban abortion in those states. But those are very, very few states. The remainder of the states would continue with the laws that they have on the books, which a, a growing number of states have what are called heartbeat bills. What these bills mean is that if you are able to detect a heartbeat of the child in utero, then you are no longer able to electively abort the child the only way that you would be able to go around this would be in the case of the mother's life, meaning something along the lines of an ectopic pregnancy. I am not sure if you would be able to hear a heartbeat in an ectopic pregnancy or not. I am not sure on that. But what I do know is that these laws, almost all of them, in fact, I believe every one of them, does protect for the life of the mother because we understand as people fighting for the right to life and protecting the unborn child, we understand that it is if you have to choose between saving both or saving one, you have to save one. And we know that the mother is able to live, but the child unfortunately would not. While it's not something that we want to do, it is something that we understand has to be, has to be done. We, we live in a fallen world. We understand that there are all kinds of things in our lives that we don't like, but we understand we have to do. This is, this is what's going to happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And what we have been waiting on is the 
final and official document to be released. This comes after the leaking of a draft opinion written at the time by Samuel Alito, which is one of the more conservative justices on the court. We do not know who will have written the final decision or if the final decision will even continue to be what it was. These decisions fluctuate and change all the time as one argument wins or another argument wins over a different person, and it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Eventually, they will come to an agreement and say, yes, this is what I will agree with, and I will sign my name to this, and this is what we're voting. This is the decision of the court. Go forward. We're not there yet, apparently. Maybe but maybe Wednesday we will hear that, but if not, we'll have to wait for the next set of dis- uh, uh orders to be dispatched from the court. We just have to wait. But what I wanted to bring up was what's been happening and not really being covered in the news media. I have not seen a story in the mainstream media on it. I am not saying that that, that there is no story. I just simply have not seen it. And that is this, that a man was arrested out near outside or near the house of Justice Kavanaugh and his family. And the only reason he was arrested is because in a moment of lucidity, he realized what he was about to do was evil and he decided he had to get himself arrested. So he called the cops and told them what he was doing and where he was. And they picked him up. They found him with a gun, uh, a, a knife, burglary tools, as they described it, including, but not limited to, duct tape and zip ties. He stated that he intended to torture and kill Brett Kavanaugh and his family to stop the overturning of Roe v. Wade. No one's talking about this. That a Supreme Court justice and his life were threatened, and it nearly succeeded if the man had not had a lucid moment, it might have succeeded. The very next day, the very next day, there was a large crowd protesting feet from the front door of Justice Kavanaugh again. And they were not stopped. They were not arrested. They were not driven off. See, here's the thing, guys. I understand protesting, and I think you should protest. You should absolutely protest on public property, not at somebody's private home. It's already illegal to protest in front of a, a federal judge's house because we have a judicial system that is not supposed to be swayed by public opinion. They're supposed to read the facts, read the law, and issue a, a, a ruling. That's it. They're not, the Supreme Court justices are not elected for a reason. They are not beholden to the will of the people. They're beholden to what is right according to the Constitution, which is above everyone's opinion. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Everything else falls to it, including public opinion. And if public opinion sways enough and changes enough, guess what? This, the, the Constitution allows for itself to be changed through the amendment process. We have done this 
multiple times now. I think it's the fact that these guys are protesting and intimidating and harassing these justices. I believe today they actually went and tried to block the doors to the Supreme Court so that the justices could not get in and do their work. Again, they are trying to intimidate these justices because they don't like an outcome that that might happen. Well, guess what? You know how many people did not like the outcome of Obamacare? Nobody nobody went and protested at a justice's house. You know how many people did not like a lot of these decisions? They haven't gone and protested at people's houses because it's wrong. Even if you say that the just the justices are public figures and therefore they have to be they have to sway to our opinion, fine. Their kids and their families should be off limits. That means their houses where their kids and families live. This is wrong. Any way you cut it, any way you slice it, it's not okay. How in the world you could think otherwise is beyond me. But this is not what's being talked about. This is this is my thing. This is where I'm I'm kind I'm getting very concerned. That there might actually be two sets of law in this country. I have long been on the side of back the blue or I, I, I am a pretty conservative person. I think anybody who talks to me would, say, would agree with that statement. But what I understand and what I know is this. When one group of people is not being prosecuted, is not being arrested, if not being convicted for crimes. And another group of people is the exact same crimes. It's not okay. Now, is that for because of the color of your skin or your political beliefs? I don't care. Whichever way, whichever, whatever is causing people to be arrested unfairly or not arrested the way when they should be, That's not okay. We cannot have a banana republic where laws are enforced on a whim. Laws for thee and not for me. That's not okay. That's not how we run our, our government. It's not how we run our society. That, that cannot continue. And yet here we are watching it happen. If, if those people had been standing outside of you know, Sotomayor or Breyer's house and had been picketing to sway them to vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, what do you think would have been happening? It would have been front page news and they would have been arrested immediately and charged with criminal trespass and intimidation of a federal judge. Yet that's not happening. Because the people in charge, I guess, agree with these tactics. I know that the former press secretary for Biden administration actually did say that she did encourage these behaviors when referring to the protests outside of the justices' homes. Yeah, she 
encourages these things. That's, I don't understand how that's okay. I don't understand how anybody can see that as a good thing. All right, the last thing I want to talk about today, and it's not going to be very long, but I had to bring it up. So I have talked about in past a particular TikTok pastor, which I did find out he is an actual pastor. He has a church um, that is considered a open and inclusive church, an affirming church. <clears throat> and he, <laughs> he was speaking. I do not know where. This is a TikTok video. This was a TikTok video that I stumbled upon, and I, I kind of chuckled when it happened. But I want you to listen to what he's saying, and then listen to what God had to say. Let me play it. The future of the church and of our world is truly in the hands of what Martin Luther King Jr. called the creatively maladjusted. Maybe minorities, sexual and gender minorities, have something to teach the church about dying to self, about new life, about... Yeah, so what I've talked about in the past with Reverend Robertson is his whole idea is that the gospel, as the church understands it and proclaims it now, is not the real gospel. That God is proud of your homosexual, your bisexual, your transgender, whatever your identity is. That he's proud of that. He made you that way, and he wants you to fulfill that to every degree that you can. And that Jesus was actually imperfect, and that he was actually a racist these are actually things that he has said. In this particular case, he was he was speaking and talking about how he believed the church should have something to learn from LGBTQ minorities. And at that moment, a lightning bolt struck the building he was in and put out the power. And you just have to wonder, was God sitting there saying, excuse you, maybe it's time. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is. It's funny. It is. It is kind of. You have to admit, it's kind of poetic. That hey, I'm going to say all this, and then boom, and there goes this thunder, and the power goes out, and God's like, "Shut up." I mean, I, I'm not saying that's actually what happened, but you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder. So, I think. I think it's funny that this took place. I know that it will not change how he views things and what he does, but it is entertaining to at least me. I found it funny, and that, and really isn't that all that matters is that I find it funny. I, I think so. I think we can agree on that. Now, there is one other video I wanted to show you that I stumbled across on TikTok, and I still to this, I don't understand what this guy is talking about, but I know several people who have lived under very orthodox, very uh, destructive um, belief systems. And so I'm going to play this and let you listen and see if you can understand what in the world he's talking about. Today, you walk in some of them, there's more beards in there than they are out in the street. (laughs) 
I'm going to tell you something. Facial hair is not apostolic. However you want to cut it, it's compromise. Now, I, I, I just, I got, I got something to say here before we go any further. I got something to say. Like, I have a beard. I personally think it's a very nice beard. I have a beard. And this guy is sitting here saying that somehow this beard is a sin. I, I don't see that in scripture, guys. I don't see that in scripture at all. I don't understand. I, I'm not, I, I probably won't play any more of this guy. I don't understand what he's talking about. I think what it is, in all honesty, is that this is a guy who has determined that his own personal preferences should be law. That, you know, the, the scripture says, happens to believe exactly what I believe about facial hair. I don't know. I mean, he is clean shaven. He's also bald. I don't know. Maybe he can't grow any hair. I don't know. Maybe he's jealous because, yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't have anything on his face. I, I don't understand how you can read scripture and see that beards are of the devil. I I I, I don't understand that one. Um, I think it's funny that you just happen to believe uh, that uh, how, maybe he's a former Chick-fil-A employee. Because you know Chick Fil A, you can't have a beard at Chick Fil A. That's that's not professional. Which, cool. I mean, I understand getting nobody wants beard hair in their food. I get that. I totally understand it. It's not it's not for everybody. But script anti scripture. I, I I don't I don't think that beards are really anti God, guys. I I I don't see that. Now. Today has been an interesting episode covering two or three different topics that have nothing to do with each other. I personally enjoyed it. I found it fun. I hope you did. But that's pretty much going to be the end of my episode. So I'm going to remind you one more time. Make sure that you like and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. You can find it in all these places. Anchor.fm. You can find it Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. It's pretty much where you can find that. But until next time, This is Zach with Zach's Fact Shack, and we'll see you again where we will learn some more crazy, stupid stuff. See you then.